Welcome to the All of Christ for All of Life podcast, where we equip men and women to be faithful in every aspect of life. This week, you'll hear a talk titled The Overwhelming Presence of Nero from our brand new audio collection titled Christian Victory in Every Realm of Life. This audio collection is brand new to the Canon app from American Vision. If you haven't heard, American Vision is now partnering with Canon Press. Over the next few weeks and months, you will find more and more American Vision video and audio inside the Canon app. If you're already a listener to this podcast, the Canon app is perfect for you. It's there that you can find everything that we've featured, not only in this podcast, but also the conferences and everything else that those talks came from. Download and subscribe today. Welcome back and thanks for coming back. This session is about the overwhelming presence of the Emperor Nero found in these early apocalypse commentaries. And so you have a handout. Does anyone not have a handout? Please raise your hand and my niece will keep them up and my niece will give you a handout. In this session, we shall see how the Emperor Nero shows up in many commentaries on Revelation from early and medieval Christianity. The comments about Nero that will pre be presented, and there's a lot more, but I had to condense it for a 45-minute session, and that is from chapter Revelation chapter 3, verse 10, chapter 6, verses 3 and 4, chapter 11, chapter 13, and chapter 17. First, Revelation 3.10. The hour of testing about to come upon the whole world. John says, or Jesus says, I will also keep you from the hour of testing that is about to come upon the whole world. Several apocalypse commentaries from the 12th and 13th century give two possible explanations for the hour of testing in this verse, a preterist one and a futuristic interpretation. The writers of these commentaries state that the hour of testing could refer either to the persecution of Christians in the first century or to a period of trial under a last day's Antichrist. And I'll give you a few examples of these. Ralph of Leon wrote, From the hour of testing, either of the general persecution, which would happen immediately after Nero, or at the, in the last time of Antichrist. This interpretation that the hour of testing refers to a persecution that happened immediately after Nero is similar to modern preterist thoughts on the passage. For example, David Chilton on this passage wrote, It is also likely, however, that this judgment partially corresponds to the wars, revolutions, riots, and worldwide convulsions that racked the empire after Nero committed suicide in June 68. Hugh of St. Cher, a Dominican who served on the theology faculty at the University of Paris, wrote in a, a commentary on the entire Bible in 13, uh, 1235. On this passage, he writes, from the hour which was either in the time of Nero or will be in the time of Antichrist. An unknown commentator from the 13th century wrote an exposition of the Apocalypse that was published among the works of Thomas Aquinas, and on this passage he writes, I, who am able, shall save you from the hour of testing, which is coming on the whole earth to try the inhabitants of the earth. 
Moreover, this can be understood of either the general persecution which was after Nero or that which will be in the time of Antichrist. Nicholas of Goran said the very similar um, thing. It's either immediately after the death of Nero or in the time of Antichrist. As you can see, at least four different commentators from the 12th and 13th centuries all contained what these authors believed was one of two acceptable interpretations, and that is that the hour of testing, which was about to try the inhabitants of the whole world, was the time immediately after the death of Nero. Pretty groovy, huh, to use an expression from my time? Okay, Revelation chapter 6, the, the, the horseman, uh, the second horseman of the apocalypse, the one riding on a red horse. And the Bible says, and when he broke the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, come, and another, a red horse, went out, and to him who sat on it, it was granted to take peace from the earth, and that men should slay one another, and a great sword was given to him. Next, let us look at three other medieval commentators on Revelation from the 13th and 14th centuries that saw Nero symbolized in this second horseman. Now, we have often heard that sometime within the last seven years of history, during the Great Tribulation, the seven seals will be opened and the four horsemen of the apocalypse will come rushing forth. Let us see what these commentators, though, have to say. Alexander of Bremen wrote a commentary on Revelation between 1230 and 1240 A.D., and in which he clearly viewed Nero as the rider on the red horse. He writes, And I looked, and there went out another horse that was red. That was the reign of Nero, red with the blood of many humans. And he who sat upon it, namely Nero himself, it was given to him, that is, permitted by God, to take peace from the earth. Because he did, he did that when he destroyed the Senate of Rome. He also committed many parricides, having killed his mother, his brother, sister, wife, and the rest of his relatives, and his teacher, Seneca. He set fire to Rome, which burned for three days or more, so that he might see how Troy once burned, and so that they might kill one another. For Nero killed himself, and the emperors Galba in Spain, Otto in Rome, and Vitellius in Germany killed each other over a period of a year and six months, as Roman history shows. Here again, John repeats in prophetic fashion concerning Nero, so that it is understood that there would be another persecution of Christians, and a great sword was given to him, because through the sword he brought about the first persecution against the Christians, beginning with the leaders, namely Peter and Paul, whom he killed. By the way, this, the, the nature of these two sessions is kind of dense because it's church history, and so I want to read some of these texts to you, and I thought, boy, I'll really bore them if I, just, if I just read these texts without you having something in front of you. So that's why I copied them for you, and I hope that, I know it's a little bit different from the other sessions, you know, but I copied them for you, and hopefully you can have this to take home and, and, and all. So let's look at now uh, Peter or Oriel. Okay, he writes in the year 1319, a compendium on Holy Scripture, a summary of the whole Bible. In its section on the book of Revelation, he interpreted the red horse as the Roman Empire and correlates its redness to certain deeds of the Emperor Nero. The second seal is the edict of the first persecution. And when he had opened the second seal, John signifies, he says, and shows the edict of the first general persecution. I say general so that partial persecution is excluded, which the faith had immediately from the beginning in Jerusalem and Judea. 
But Nero was the first among the Roman emperors who issued an edict that Christians should be punished, as Eusebius says. And I say that he martyred the most blessed apostles, Peter and Paul, and many others throughout diverse parts of the world. Through the horse, therefore, the Roman Empire is understood, for horses in Scripture have customarily designated kingdoms, as is evident from Zechariah. But the red horse was the Roman Empire red through the shedding of blood, because as Eusebius narrates, Nero progressed into such evil that he did not temper the sword even from his own family. Or, he says, the red could be, mean uh, the, flame, the color of flames by reason of his burning Rome. So, while many modern interpreters give a futuristic interpretation of the horsemen of the apocalypse, Ariel believed that at least part of the vision of the red horse referred to Nero, a Roman emperor of the first century. To confirm his interpretation, he uses Eusebius's church history, written in the fourth century, and interestingly, this is pretty interesting. The full title of his compendium is The Compendium of the Literal Sense of the Whole Divine Scripture. Now, those who insist on a futuristic view of the book of Revelation frequently state that when people apply a literal hermeneutic to the book of Revelation, it results in a futuristic premillennial interpretation. How many people have heard that before? Okay, about all of us, okay? But in the case of Ariel, here's a case. He applies a literal hermeneutic, and he saw in the visions of the apocalypse events that took place in the first century. Um, the next one is from Nicholas of Lyra, and you can read that one, right? And so um, let's go on to the next verse, Revelation 11.7, the beast ascending from the abyss. A lot of people thought this was Nero raised from hell. And when they have finished their testimony, the beast that comes up out of the abyss will make war with them and overcome them and kill them. Probably with this passage as a basis, which speaks of a beast coming out of the abyss, the writer Commodian described the end-time beast saying, Nero shall be raised from hell. For us, quote, Nero has become Antichrist, he wrote in one of his poems. Now in the year 398, the church father Jerome wrote a commentary on Revelation, and he says this on this passage. Moreover, the beast was already in the kingdom of the Romans and was among the Caesars, about which the Apostle Paul testifies. And he goes on to quote the hymn. He says, um, Let him who now restrains, restrains until he comes from your midst, and then that wicked one will appear whose coming is according to the working of Satan with lying signs and wonders. The mystery, he said, of lawlessness is already at work. And so, for Jerome, the beast of Revelation 11.7 was none other than Nero. For Jerome says that according to the Apostle Paul, the beast was already in the kingdom of the Romans, was among the Caesar, and was ruler at that time. That is, during the ministry of the Apostle Paul. Now, when Jerome mentions that this beast will be raised, he seems to have held the common belief among early Christians that at the end of the world, Nero will be raised from hell to torment the church again. Furthermore, Jerome makes the comment that this would not happen through his own power, and he goes on. Now, the next paragraph. In his commentary on Daniel, Jerome writes this, and so there are many of our viewpoint, notice many, who think that Domitius Nero was the Antichrist because of his outstanding savagery and depravity. Domitius was Nero's family name. 
Let's look at Revelation chapter 3, the Nero's fatal wound. The scripture says, And I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And then over to verse 12 says, And he makes the earth and those who dwell in it worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. So, what is that fatal wound which was healed? Dispensationalists like John Walvard, the late John Walvard, think that the healing of the wound means that the Roman Empire will be revived. Tim LaHaye thinks that the Antichrist will die and rise again in the middle of the Great Tribulation. This essay illustrates that many in early and medieval Christianity connected the beast with the first century Emperor Nero. In addition, at least one patristic text recommends that the letters of Nero's name be used to calculate the number of the beast. Let us read on. Victorinus of Petua, by the way, that's in Yugoslavia, what used to be Yugoslavia, what is that, the Czech, is that the Czech Republic now, or is it still Yugoslavia? Slovakia, thank you, thank you. And so um, that's where that is, and he commented on Revelation about the year 260, and um, he says, he's referring to Nero. The expanded comments in Jerome's version read this, Moreover, one of the heads slain unto death, and his fatal wound was healed, he speaks of Nero. For it is plain that while the cavalry sent by the Senate pursued him, he cut his own throat. Therefore, after he is raised, God sends this one, a worthy king for a worthy people, and the Jews merit such a Christ. And because he will bear another name, he will establish another name, uh, life, and the Jews would welcome him as Christ. Moreover, about him rising from hell, we have spoken, and he says, the Spirit says, his number is the name of a man, and his number, 666. Jerome's comment links the fatal wound to Nero's suicide and then recites the belief that Nero will be raised up from hell. In addition, Jerome's narrative links the number of the beast to the, this revived Nero. Sulpicius Severus, writing a history of the emperor Nero in 405, and he's a Christian, he speaks of this belief that Nero will be revived in the end time. And you can take a look and read that. But he, he, he relates also this passage, Revelation 13.3, to uh, Nero. Now, Beatus of Labiana, a couple paragraphs down, maybe two or three paragraphs down. Beatus of Labiana's commentary on Revelation, written in 786, when explaining Revelation 13.3, actually uses the term Nero Antichrist. Now that's pretty interesting, right? With Jerome's commentary as a base, he expanded upon it and wrote, and let me read it for you. Moreover, one of the heads of the beast, which we have said above, was in the false prophets, was that, as it were had been slain to death, and its fatal wound healed. He speaks of Nero, who prefigured Antichrist. And since the eighth is the beast, he, he is Antichrist himself, who now rules subtly in the church through false priests, but then will devastate the church openly. Because the Jews crucified Christ, they are also expecting Nero Antichrist for Christ. So, Beatus believed that a future Antichrist was coming. However, he saw in Revelation 13.3 a reference to Nero's fatal wound. The healing of that wound for Beatus meant that God would raise Nero from hell who would come back as the Antichrist under a different name. Interestingly, Beatus refers to this person as Nero Antichrist. Uh, 
Next paragraph. The association of Nero with Antichrist can be traced in literature as far back as the late first century. The martyrdom and ascension of Isaiah was written at the end of the first century, and he connected the Antichrist with Nero. In the passage on Antichrist, who he's called, he calls Beliar, it says, Beliar will descend from his firmament in the form of a man, a king, form of a man, a king of iniquity, a murderer of his mother. And Nero had his mother, Agrippina, murdered in 59 AD because he was paranoid, thinking that she was plotting against him. In book five of the Sibylline Oracles, in a, in a Christian redaction written in the second century, Nero is again associated with Antichrist. And you can read that, too. Finally, this is kind of uh, interesting. In modern Armenian, the language, or at least in the Armenian language spoken in the late 19th century, the word Antichrist is Niren. This is very likely due to the early association of the Antichrist with the Emperor Nero. Now, I have two more sections. We have two more sections, and so let's take a look at the number of the beast, the number of Nero Antichrist. Revelation 13, 18 says, Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of, be- of the beast, for the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. The Liber Genealogus, or genealogical book, is a chronology written in Latin by an unknown North African Donatist Christian in the 5th century. This was fun. I I found this text in the Vatican Library over in St. Louis University. They have this Vatican film library, and what they did was they were afraid during World War II that the Vatican Library would get bombed by the Nazis or whoever was bombing them, and... um, and so they, the Knights of Columbus filmed, uh, took, took uh, pictures of all their old manuscripts, and they sent them to the United States. And there's two libraries in the United States that have all those manuscripts. And so I was searching in there for something else, and I came along across this, and I was like, they're using Nero's name in the calculation of the beast. This is wonderful. So, so let's take a look. And I, and I published an article on this. If you want the full article on this, it's for free on, my, on the table over there. It was published in the uh, Westminster Journal a couple of years ago. So let's talk about this book. In short entries, the Liber lists persons and events in chronological order from Adam and Eve to the 5th century of the Christian era. In doing so, it makes extensive use of genealogies in the Old Testament, genealogies in Matthew and Luke, and then lists of kings, Roman kings, dictators, and emperors. The next paragraph. Toward the end of the chronology, it speaks about the birth and death of Christ under the emperors Augustus and Tiberius. It then briefly touches upon the persecutions of Christians. And that's where the relevant statements are about Nero. Here's what it does. It cites a portion of Revelation 13, 18, in the version that was written in the year 438, and it states that the letters of Nero's name are to be used in calculating the number of the beast. Here here it is in English. Moreover, from the passion of the Lord to the passion of Peter and Paul are 38 years. They suffered when Nero was consul. The first persecution was of Nero, which is going to occur again under Enoch and Elijah. This Nero is he whose name John called in the Apocalypse 616. Here wisdom is used that the name of him who is thus called Antichrist may be calculated through letters. Antichristus, and he does it in Latin. 
the collected number equals 154. This multiplied by four strokes, according to the four letters of the name Nero, makes 616, which is the name of Antichrist. Now, the Liber Genealogus illustrates that some African Christians saw an allusion to Nero in Revelation 13, the passage about the number of the beast. Paragraph 615 shows that the verse of scripture in the author's copy of the Apocalypse read 616 rather than 666. This 16, uh, 616 variant was known to early Christian writers of the 2nd through 8th centuries. It's very well attested to, and I, and I list some of those there. Now, he was also, this Liber was quoting from an, a more ancient source, and it was probably was one of the sibling oracles that said, you have to use the four strokes according to the four letters of the name of Nero. Now, I want to take you on a little rabbit trail a second uh, and talk to you about Irenaeus. Irenaeus, um, and so, so it's only a couple of paragraphs, but, but uh, please bear with me here. And the calculation of the number of the beast by early Christians using Nero's name sheds light on the question of whether or not Irenaeus, the earliest church father to write about the number of the beast, was aware of the practice. So, let's, let me repeat this. The earliest church father that we know of to write on the number of the beast was Irenaeus, about 170, 180. A lot of scholars today say he knew nothing of the Nero identification. Okay? Let's take a look at that question. Okay? For the past 50 years, scholarly opinion has overwhelmingly asserted that Irenaeus had no knowledge of any Christians in his day associating the number of the beast with Nero. And here's a few of their quotes. Greg Beale, very well-respected writer over at Wheaton. Irenaeus discusses various possible identifications for the number of the beast, but he does not entertain the possibility that the beast is to be identified with Nero, and he even rejects the possibility that the beast is to be identified with any Roman emperor at all. And he's surprised. He says, such lack of consideration is striking since Nero's infamous reputation as a persecuting tyrant would have still been well known. So Beale is actually surprised by this. Leon Morris writes this, Irenaeus did not even include Nero in his list, let alone regard it as a likely conjecture. Barclay Newman says this, where Irenaeus makes reference to the speculation concerning the number of 666, it's in no instance does he even reflect knowledge of the Nero revived myth in the list of interpretations familiar with him. So let me repeat this. Scholarly opinion says that Irenaeus, the earliest church father to write about the number of the beast, was not even aware of the Nero identification. But let's look at Irenaeus' writing and see what he says. In Book 530 of Against Heresies, Irenaeus reviews and evaluates three names for the number of the beast, 666, and they were Evanthus, Lytinus, and Titan. And then he says, I'm not really going to declare positively about anyone, but, uh, but I, I kind of lean toward Titan, he said. Right? But in the same chapter, Irenaeus explains that there were some in his day who were using a corrupted version of Revelation 13, which read 616 instead of 666, or 666, right? He says, in, he, he tells us that some quote, 
have ventured to seek out a name which should contain the erroneous and spurious number. And they were affirming that this name hid upon by themselves is that of him who is to come. From these statements, it seems very likely that Irenaeus knew exactly what that name was, but he never specified for his readership what it was. Now, one reason for this may have been because he believed it was based on a corrupt version of Scripture, and so he didn't want to give it the least bit of credence. Another reason may have been because it was the name of a Roman emperor, and we said before that he was adverse to the idea that the number should be interpreted with, with respect to Roman emperors. But the point is that Irenaeus seems to have known the name that these other Christians were coming up with, right? What was that name? Well, the Liber Genealogus may provide a clue. It reveals that some African Christians, whose version of Revelation 13 read 616, were using the name of Nero, or Nero Antichristus, right? And arriving at the number of the beast, which in their version was 616. No patristic writing, of which I am aware, provides another name for the beast which totals 616. Therefore, I think it's highly probable that the name to which Irenaeus alluded was Nero, and that he, in fact, did know of the Nero theory for the number of the beast, but rejected it. So, this is early, early. This is second century. And we already talked last session about Papias, too. And some, so, when you hear things like, oh, those preterist interpretations of Revelation didn't, have, you know, didn't come around till the seventh century or something like that, I want you to take them to the, these texts and say, no, that's not correct. So, my rabbit trail is over. Was it a good one? Thank you. All right. Now, let's see. Many modern scholars believe that the earliest Christians calculated the number of the beast by adding the sum of Hebrew letters to the name Nero, Neron Kaiser. John Marshall explained that the Nero solution is well received by the majority of scholars, and the InterVarsity Press Bible background commentary confirmed that the Nero identification is, quote, the most popular proposal among scholars today. The Liber Genealogus, a 5th century text, spoke of this procedure by which some Christians added the sum of the letters of the word Antichristus and multiplied it by four, um, the four numbers of the letters of Nero's name. Although these two modes do not correspond exactly, the practice mentioned in this text may be a vestige of some original method. Another vestige can possibly be found in the anonymous handbook of the Apostle, the Apocalypse of the Apostle John that I mentioned last time, which said, it said that um, the Apocalypse was written in the in 23rd year after Christ's uh, death. Do you remember that one? This is the same one. And it says, the number of his name should be understood according to the Hebrew language. That's interesting, isn't it? Because nobody, you know, not, not too many people say that. So... So against critics who regard the Nero identification of the number of the beast as a novelty not to be found in the early church, the, the Liber genealogist shows that it did in fact in the er, exist in the earliest centuries of Christian history. Now critics of it say, look, that Nero identification for the number of the beast, that first came up in the 1830s by German scholars. 1830s. This text pushes it way back about 1,400 years before that. So, 
One objection that people raise against 666 or 666 being a cryptogram for Nero and Kaiser is that for it to work, the name Nero has an N added to it, a new, Neron. However, a similar spelling of Nero was found at a scroll, uh, in a scroll at Qumran, and that's been published. There's a footnote there, and you can get that little article. But there was also a certain coin minted in the Holy Land during the reign of Nero, and I brought a sample, and it clearly has on the reverse the letters N-E-R-O-N, or Nu, Epsilon, Rho, Omega, Nu, if you, if you like your Greek. And I'll pass it around, and the last person, if you could give it to my niece. So you can read it. It's on two lines. It says N-E-R-O-N. Neron. So that was the point is it was not uncommon to spell Nero's name with an N on the end. So I brought a magnifying glass too, so you can you can check that out. Okay, and and uh, this is for you. And now the last uh, section I want to deal with today, and then I'll summarize. That is from Revelation 17, Nero as the sixth king. Here is the mind which has wisdom. The seven heads are seven mountains on which the woman sits, and they are seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. And when he comes, he must remain for a little while. According to some contemporary scholars, such as J. Ramsey Michaels, this verse offers the best hope of dating the book of Revelation. For if one can identify the sixth king, the one who is, five have fallen, one is, and the other is shortly to come, if you can identify the one who is reigning at the time of John's vision, then one can fix the date of the apocalypse within the years of that emperor's reign. Ken Gentry expressed this as well, writing, We find an extremely important chronology indicator in Revelation 17 where the sixth king is mentioned. And J. Christian Wilson, Wilson affirmed, saying, The most important internal evidence for dating Revelation is the passage in chapter 17. Now, four medieval commentaries on Revelation list Nero as the sixth king. And that's just four that I found. The one who is. They are the Irish Reference Bible from about the year 750, the Commentary of Beatus about 786, a 10th century commentary in a manuscript in Cambridge, which is not even edited yet. I had to write the person who found it there or who, who worked with it, wrote an article about it and said, could you please look in the manuscript and see what it says under Revelation 17, 9 and 10? And he wrote to me and told me. So. Uh, so, and then a commentary of Nicholas of Goran. The Irish Reference Bible is an anonymous Latin commentary on the whole Bible from the second half of the 8th century. On this passage it reads, Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. That is, Gaius Julius Caesar, the first emperor. The second, Augustus, under whom Christ was born. The third, Tiberius, under whom he suffered. The fourth, Claudius, under whom the famine and the axe occurred. And the fifth, Galba, the sixth, Nero. Now, he messed it up with Galba because Galba's really after Nero, so he didn't know his Roman history too well. But he's got the sixth, the one who is, as Nero. I think that's significant. Now, Beatus' commentary in the next paragraph, the commentary in the manuscript at Cambridge in the next paragraph, and finally, Nicholas of Gorantz have almost the exact same 
word-for-word -word comments, which means either they were borrowing from each other when they wrote it, or they were using a common source. And the McNamara, who wrote an article on this commentary in the 10th century manuscript of Cambridge, said the reason that there are almost identical comments is not because of dependence on one another, but because they both used a common source, and it's a lost apocalypse commentary that he dated before the year 750. Now, how much before into the early church that commentary goes, which has Nero as the 6th century, would be really interesting to find out to, or to ascertain. But first, we're waiting for a critical edition of that one commentary to come, uh, come out, and then we're going to, uh, well, people, scholars will take the different commentaries, see what's similar or common in them, and say the lost commentary, try to reconstruct the lost commentary from the similar comments. You know? And so that'll probably take a 10 years or so. We shall see. Okay, well, at least, on, at least four commentaries on Revelation from the Middle Ages show that interpreters long before the modern period believed that the sixth king who is reigning at the time John wrote Revelation was Nero. Now a summary. Many commentators from the 12th and 13th century gave as an acceptable term interpretation of the hour of testing in Revelation 3 as the time immediately after the death of Nero. This corresponds to David Chilton's interpretation of that passage. Other interpreters in the 13th and 14th century saw the second horseman of the apocalypse in Revelation 6 as the emperor Nero, red with the blood of the saints and having taken peace from the earth. In the early church, Victorinus, Jerome, and Sulpicius Severus interpreted the beast whose fatal wound was healed as a reference to the suicide of Nero. In the early Middle Ages, Beatus of Labiana associated the beast with Nero Antichrist. This corresponds to interpretations by modern partial preterists like Ken Gentry and Gary DeMar, who see a reference to Nero in the sea beast of Revelation 12, 13. Some of the aforementioned patristic writers, however, believed that the healing of Nero's wound would occur at the end of the world when he would be raised from hell and persecute the church again, and that belief is generally not held by those today who hold a preterist view of the book of Revelation. So you can see not all the preterist comments are, you know, exactly correspond to things today, or, or you know, preterist comments today. A 5th century text entitled Liber Genealogus recommended that the four letters of Nero's name be used in the calculation of the number of the beast. While its method does not correspond exactly with the method today of using the numerical value of Nero and Kaisar in Hebrew, the connection between the number of the beast with Nero in this patristic document is informative and is another early, as is another early medieval commentary that says the number should be understood according to the Hebrew language. And at least four commentaries from the Middle Ages identified the Emperor Nero as the sixth king of Revelation 17, the one who was reigning at the time John wrote the book of Revelation. Now what does this all mean? Our dispensational brothers and sisters in Christ, and they are our brothers and sisters, tell us that the hour of testing is the great tribulation, which they define as the last seven years before the second coming of Christ. They also tell us that the visions in chapters 9 through 6 through 19 of Revelation are all about historical events that are going to take place in that seven-year period, and we've all heard that. But here we have seen today that many of the early and medieval commentaries on Revelation 
And this is just on Revelation today because I, I did the stuff on the, um, on the Olivet Discourse in that other book. Okay. Who's read that other book in that chapter on the Olivet Discourse? Anybody? About, about with all those things from the church fathers interpreting the Olivet Discourse in a preterist manner. If, you, if you're interested in that, it's in the early church and the end of the world over there in a, in a big chapter. I think it might be chapter 6. But, and these were notable people in the early church. They saw references to the Emperor Nero in passages in those chapters. Therefore, when we hear proponents of dispensationalism saying that their view of Revelation was the view of the early church, and they say it. Who's the one guy from Canada who says that? He has the end time books. What's his name? I forget his name, but he, he constantly says that. Um, it is simply not true. The church fathers were all over the map on Revelation, and some of their interpretations of certain of its visions correspond, at least in part, to contemporary partial preterist views. Thank you.